Hello, folks. Wow, is it really August? Time sure flies, but not to worry, because that just means that there's always something new to listen to in the chilling entertainment family of shows. Don't miss the latest episode of Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, with new episodes premiering Wednesdays. And, of course, don't forget Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and Drew Blood's Dark Tales. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron, just five bucks a month, and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Slow down just a little bit and join us for a scary good time. We're waiting for you. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Jiry, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> listening to scary stories told in the dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 14. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Micah Edwards. Tonight, we'll hear stories of tough luck transplants, fearful figures, disappearing disposals, and wretched reunions. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Some people have all the luck. Why, in our first story, we follow a fellow whose life took a rough turn, only to have a heart attack at work. Not to worry, he survives. It's what happens after he recovers that's the problem. Without further ado, I present to you, Forever in Your Heart. On the whole, Paul Horvath had led a fairly lucky life. He'd been born into an upper-middle-class family, gifted with above-average intelligence and the opportunities to make use of it. It worked for what he had, no doubt, but things had also had a way of turning out well for him, regardless. That had been true up until a year ago. A year to the day, he reflected bitterly. Today was the anniversary of his wife leaving. She said he'd been spending too little time with her, that they were barely more than strangers anymore. Certainly, he put in long hours at his job, but that was for her, or had been anyway. Once she left, he threw himself into his work harder than ever. His eating habits might have slipped a bit, and certainly put on a few pounds, but that was all reasonable for a man in his forties. It was in much better shape than most of his colleagues. The heart attack came completely out of left field. He'd been worried about having to buy new pants, not about struggling to breathe as his body suddenly collapsed in on itself. Ironically, it was being at work that saved him. He wasn't the only one still working after 8 p.m. One of his co-workers heard him fall, found him unresponsive, and called 911. Had he been at home, alone in his empty house, was likely that no one would have found him for days. Perhaps that is what had happened to his luck, Paul thought. He'd used it all up in one go in order to save his life. Not just by having someone on hand to find him on the floor, but by his heart choosing to quit exactly when it did. The surgery to repair his heart had failed. Nothing the surgeon did could coax the stricken organ back to life. In most circumstances, Paul would have died. In this particular case, however, the hospital had an organ donor on hand, someone who had been removed from life support even as Paul was being hooked up to it. His blood type was a match. The heart was available. And so, risky though it was, the surgeon elected to attempt an emergency transplant in a final effort to save Paul's life. It had been successful. And that, Paul thought wryly, was what passed for luck in his life now. Not health, not happiness. Merely being allowed to live through an incident that would have killed most people. Of course, the surgery and the multi-week stay in the hospital meant that he'd be digging himself out of his financial hole for years to come. And that was assuming he still had a paycheck at the end of everything. Long-term disability was still providing him with 60% of his paycheck for now. 
But he knew the business wouldn't hold his job for long, no matter what federal regulations said. He'd be lucky to make it to the end of the month. And luck, as mentioned, was something in short supply at the moment. He was home from the hospital now, at least, and cleared for light movement. No heavy lifting, no long periods out of bed. Nothing that would stress the thumb-thick scar that split his chest from collarbone to navel. Nothing that would put strain on the dead man's heart that beat within his chest. He'd expected to feel more strangely about that when they told him about the procedure. He'd thought it would be odd to know that he was now a permanent host of another man's heart. But between recuperation and physical therapy and the general hope and dread of facing the future, there always seemed to be something more pressing to worry about. Home maintenance, for example. The house had been unattended while Paul was in the hospital, and a number of small things had gone wrong. They were all easily fixable by an able-bodied person, and it rankled Paul not to be able to count himself in that category. He'd had to hire a lawn service to cut his grass, a cleaning company to vacuum, now humiliating to know that lifting a vacuum cleaner up the stairs was medically classified as too stressful. Paul had always prided himself on his vigor and youth, and it had been taken from him in one fell swoop. The doctors swore he would make a full recovery, but lying in this bed all day, he didn't feel like it. Somewhere in the walls of his house, a pipe had developed a leak. Paul could hear it intermittently, and a regular dripping sound that he had been trying unsuccessfully to pin down for days now. The location was frustratingly vague. Sometimes it sounded like it was halfway across the house. Other times he swears that it was coming from directly behind his head. He tried turning off the water in the kitchen and bathroom, but to absolutely no effect. The dripping continued. He called out a plumber who found nothing. Naturally, the noise hadn't presented while he was there, making it a futile exercise. Still, the handyman went through the house, turning on all the taps and listening at every wall. He showed Paul a digital readout that swore there was no moisture in his walls, told him that his crawlspace was as dry as a bone, and then went on his way. At an hour later, the dripping started again. Paul thought about calling the man back, but decided against it. He checked everything he could anyway. A second visit, for more of the same, would find nothing. Paul resolved to just ignore the noise. The plumber said it wasn't causing any problems. He could just let it be. This resolve lasted for almost 24 hours. Then the dripping started while Paul was in the bathroom, and suddenly he found himself with a drywall saw in hand, braced against the bathroom vanity, carving a line through the wall to discover what was behind it. Paul wondered if the back-and-forth motion of his arm was straining any stitches. He decided he didn't care. The noise was driving him crazy. He was certain that it was coming from behind this wall. He could get his chest sewn back up if he needed to. Right now, more than anything, he had to make the dripping stop. He felt the saw ping off metal pipes. He tried to keep his cuts shallow. The first line was almost a foot long. Paul made a right angle and kept cutting. The dripping was louder now, which encouraged him. He saw it faster. He could wrap the pipe in cloth and stop the noise. He could call the plumber back out and confront him with his failure. He could fix the problem. 
another footlong line, and Paul turned the corner again. He was in a rhythm now, unconsciously timing his sawing to the droplets. Drip, drip, drip went the sound. Zit, 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 zit went the saw. The end of the third line drew near, and Paul was, well, tempted to simply punch the loose drywall free. He held back, though, knowing that he'd have to replace it. He turned the saw once more and began the fourth cut. Finally, the lines joined. Paul triumphantly wedged the saw into the wall and popped the square of drywall free. He shone a light inside, expecting to see a metal pipe shining with water. Instead, what greeted him was the staring face of a woman no more than a foot from his own. Paul yelped, staggered backward, and dropped the light. His donated heart was hammering so hard in his chest that he was afraid it would break loose from its moorings. He wanted to tell himself that what he had seen was impossible, but even without the flashlight directed into the hole, he could see the woman's eyes glinting in the darkness. Norma, she said. Her voice sounded far away and muffled, as if she were speaking from behind a layer of thick fabric. Waiting for you, Yorma. Louis' fingers probed the depth of the hole Paul had made, as if to decide if it was large enough to pull herself through. They wrapped around, pulling against the drywall, and suddenly her face was against the hole. Yorma, she said again. Her face was only visible from the nose down. Her lips were purple and swollen. Her skin was mottled blue and white. Come join me. Paul crab walked out of the bathroom, scrambling backward on both feet and hands. The face of the woman in the wall shifted downward, and for a moment one bloodshot eye pressed up against the missing patch of the drywall. Then she was gone, flooding away in a flash of blue, pale skin. Paul remained on the floor for several minutes, staring at the dark hole in the wall. Finally, he gathered up the strength to regain his feet and re-entered the bathroom. He stepped inside cautiously. The hole in the wall showed nothing but two metal pipes in the back of the drywall beyond. There was no leak. There was no corpse-like woman. Imagination, Paul told himself. Stress-induced hallucination. In fact, maybe there never was a drip at all. He picked up the sawed-out square of drywall and prepared to place it into the hole. As he did so, however, a wet hand suddenly burst from the hole and seized him by the wrist. Yarma! shrieked the woman. Paul shrieked as well flailing as he fell backward once more. Though her hand felt solid enough, Paul tumbled through her grasp without breaking it. As he crashed to the tiles, her arm waved wildly overhead, spattering water everywhere. She groped blindly in the air. I need you, Yorma, she wailed. The hand patted frantically against the wall, leaving damp handprints. Yorma! Finding nothing to seize, the arm reluctantly slid back into the hole. The cries faded with it, as did the handprints on the wall. Within moments, Paul was alone in a dry bathroom. He stared at the hole, which once again showed nothing more than might be expected behind a bathroom wall. He took deep breaths and tried to calm his heart. This was certainly more exertion than the doctor would be comfortable with. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs 
or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. As the beating slowed, Paul realized he could still hear the dripping sound. It was coming from the wall in front of him. Somewhere within, the woman was still waiting. Hello, he called, feeling ridiculous. I, I don't know who you want. Fingers gripped the edge of the hole and a woman's face swam back into view. Her eyes locked with Paul's for a moment before they moved past the top edge and were hidden. Her mouth was framed by the ragged edges of drywall as she spoke. Come back to the lake, Yorma. Small trickles of water ran from the edges of her mouth. I'll be waiting for you there. Who's Yorma? Paul cried, but there was no answer. The woman was gone again. The dripping ceased. The evening found Paul hunched over his computer, his browser history littered with fruitless searches. He'd tried Lost Ghost and haunting the wrong person. He'd looked up Water Ghost in walls and Woman Behind Drywall. He'd tried a dozen different variations on ways he thought Yorma might be spelled. Nothing had brought up anything useful. Finally, hours in, he tried adding the name of his town to Yorma's name. An obituary popped up for a man named Yorma Niemenin, a recent one. The date looked familiar, but it took Paul a moment to realize why. Yorma Niemenin's death date was the same day that Paul had had his heart attack. The picture on the obituary was a blonde Nordic man in his early thirties. He and Paul looked nothing alike. Still, the timing of the death seemed too much of a coincidence. Paul read on, curious to find out why the specter in his wall was calling him by this man's name. According to a quick skim of the obituary, Yorma had led a happy life, rich with friends and family. He'd unfortunately fallen overboard during his beloved hobby of boating, and although onlookers had been able to resuscitate his body, he'd never regained consciousness. Toward the end, the obituary mentioned that Norma was preceded in death by his wife, Sarah, Paul googled Sarah Niemenin and found another obituary, this one from less than six months earlier. Sarah, too, had died in a boating accident. There'd been no helpful onlookers for this one. She'd been found drifting in the lake. The words in the obituary barely registered. Paul's eyes were locked in the picture. The facial expression was happier, and the skin much less blue, but the woman in the obituary photo was absolutely the same one Paul had seen inside his wall. Sarah Niemenin had died less than a year ago. At that point, Paul had been living in his house for years. There was no chance that he was simply living in her old home. He'd not bought her boat or anything that might have belonged to her. It was nowhere near Lake. Why then was she suddenly haunting him and calling him by her husband's name? 
Methodically, Paul began to mentally review what was new in the house. Various people had brought over food to welcome him back from the hospital. It seemed unlikely that a ghost would have hitched a ride on cookware, however. The plumber, the cleaners, and the lawn servers had all been inside of the house at various points. Any of them could have left something. Depending on where the Nemanins lived, it was possible that any of those people had done work at their house and maybe taken something away with them. It was a bit of a stretch to assume that they would have picked up something important enough to haunt, carried it for six months without noticing it, and then deposited it at Paul's house. But it was a potential source. And if not them, then it would have to be something that Paul had brought home from the hospital. That was nothing but a pair of slip-proof socks, a collection of gauze, and... The answer all but slapped Paul in the face. His heart thumped in his chest as he understood what he had brought home. What had attracted the ghost, what was causing her to call him by her husband's name. His heart. The dead man's heart. The hospital had not told him the name of his donor, but the dates matched. It was all too clear. The woman in his wall, Sarah Nimanen, was reaching out to the heart of her lost lover. And he, Paul, was carrying that heart. The dripping had been silent all day. Paul felt like Sarah might have used up her energy trying to contact him earlier, or trying to contact Yorma, anyway. Doubtless she had tried before, back when Yorma was alive. Paul envied the strength of the connection that would keep two people together, even after one had died. He never experienced that with anyone. I have an opportunity, he realized. I could put Sarah back in touch with Yorma. She doesn't know he's gone because I'm carrying his heart. I can help her find him. They can be together again. It was an oddly romantic notion, and it appealed to Paul greatly. He'd been feeling lost lately, unmoored and useless. This was something he could do. It was something he could fix. He returned to the hole in the bathroom wall. He peered inside but saw nothing. There were no drips. Hello, he called. Sarah? There was no response. After a moment, Paul turned the sink faucet on slightly, letting the water trickle out. He slowly rotated the knob until the water was almost off, leaving a steady drip, drip, drip. He closed his eyes and tried to slow his heartbeat to sink to the water. Thump, thump, thump. Drip, drip, drip. Suddenly, the water moved from a drip to a trickle and then to a steady stream. Paul opened his eyes to find Sarah peering at him from within the wall. Yorma, she said. I'm not Yorma, Paul told her. He stared into her eyes, willing her to understand. I know you miss him. Yorma, Sarah said again. She reached one pale arm out through the wall. Paul took her clammy hand in his. Listen to me. He's already with you. All I have is his heart. He pressed the back of her hand to his chest, feeling the chill against his healing scar. This is what you're hearing. The rest of him? He's already with you. You just need to go find him. Sarah stared at Paul, looking up at him and down. She seemed to see him for the first time. Painfully, she choked out new words. I don't understand, 
Yorma died in the lake where you drowned, said Paul. Yorma drowned? Yes. Yorma drowned? She repeated. Abruptly, her hand clamped around Paul's, her nails digging deeply into his skin. Water gushed forth from the faucet, splashing over the sides of the sink and washing across the counter. Paul yelped and tried to pull free, but her hand was like an iron band around his. Yorma drowned me, Sarah shouted. Her other arm thrust through the hole and suddenly she was squeezing through, her body contorting horribly to fit. Ribs shifted and popped, hips bent at impossible angles, and in seconds she was through. Up close, Paul could see the blood in her hair and the bruising around her neck. He had only a moment to look, however, before she was seizing him by the back of the head and forcing his face down into the sink. Paul fought and flailed, but although her hands were as rigid and immovable as concrete, he hit nothing but air as he grabbed for her. He screamed, but succeeded only in adding bubbles to the cascade of water cutting him off from the air he so desperately needed. Shh, Norma, shh, Sarah said. Paul felt his donated heart beating wildly within his chest, as if attempting to escape on its own. Then, with a final spasm, it ceased. There, said Sarah, and with a whisper, she was gone. The flood of water dropped back to almost nothing as Paul fell to the floor. He gasped for air, but even as his lungs filled, he knew it was no use. Sarah had taken back Yorma's heart. Paul listened to the steady drip, drip, drip of the faucet as he felt the darkness closing in around him for the final time. He really did. Have no luck anymore. I hope you enjoyed Forever in Your Heart by Micah Edwards, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Micah Edwards. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-I-C-A-H dash E-D-W-A-R-D-S. You'll find more of his work on Amazon, of course, and on Reddit, as you might expect. But you'll also find his work in the Chilling Tales Anthology Volume 1, available in print and ebook now in audio format very soon. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. Well, Sarah may have had her issues with Yorma, but let's face it, she certainly knew the way to his heart. All now seems to be on the market. It's a rocky start, but maybe they can get over it and see the start of a beautiful afterlife together. Ever meet someone at a party that seems to know you you don't know anything about them. What if that happened to you? But instead of just a little awkward banter, suddenly your life is thrown a loop where you know something bad is going to happen. You just don't know what it'll be. Well, wonder no more, because that very situation is the topic of our next story. Without further ado, I present to you The Figure.
The eighth day. It was well into the evening. The bar table was packed. Twenty or so people crammed into a space meant to fit twelve. Everyone was laughing. Most were drunk. Lucas certainly was. And why not? It was a party. He wasn't driving home. He wasn't stupid enough to get into a situation where he might end up driving drunk. His car was safely back at his apartment. Eventually, he would pass it on his way inside. That would be his only interaction with it tonight. Lucas was having a good time, and the only repercussion was the hangover he was likely to have the next morning. That was tomorrow's problem. Tonight was just about having fun. Someone put their hands on his shoulders. A light, friendly touch. Lucas didn't recognize the hands, but he covered one with his own anyway, while turning around to see who it was. To his surprise, he felt forearms clamp tightly around his head, pinning his face forward. Hey, what gives? he exclaimed. Don't look now, a voice whispered in his ear. He couldn't tell if it was male or female. You'll see me in eight days. The hand slid away and he felt a caress on his cheek as light as a feather. Spun around, nearly toppling off of the long bench at the table. Laughing, the people on either side of him grabbed his arms to hold him up. Careful there, careful, they shouted. A little too much to drink? Lucas whipped his gaze back and forth across the bar. It was packed with people, but none of them were anywhere near him. He suddenly felt far too sober. Who's behind me? he demanded of the people across the table. They shrugged and smiled, shaking their heads, to let them know they hadn't seen anyone. Lucas stayed at the table and the party for another half an hour, but his heart wasn't in it. What had they meant? He'd see him in eight days? That was an ominous thing to spring on a stranger at a bar. Had it just been some sort of sick joke? Kept his back to the wall, his eyes roving suspiciously around the room. No one seemed to be watching him. Eventually, he gave up trying to find the owner of the hands and ordered up a ride home. The cold air outside was a slap in the face, waking him up in a way he hadn't realized he needed. Maybe he'd fallen asleep for a second inside. The warmth, the alcohol, the good feelings, it was possible. Lucas nearly fell asleep twice in the rideshare on the way home. By the time he was fumbling at the door of his apartment, he was sure that it had just been some odd kind of dream. He poked an accusatory finger at his reflection in the mirror as he brushed his teeth. You gotta stop ruining things for me. Minutes later, Lucas was in his bed, fully asleep. The seventh day. Lucas wasn't certain what had woken him up. It was still pitch black outside. He couldn't hear any disruptive noises from the building shouting from the next-door neighbors, no thumping music from the guy above. Everything seemed peaceful. His half-lidded eyes drifted from the closed door of his room to the open door of his closet. Suddenly, they shot open, straining to take in all available light. Someone was standing inside his closet. He tried to tell himself it was just his imagination, just an odd configuration of clothes... He was unsuccessful. He could see the figure's chest rise and fall as it breathed slowly, calmly. 
He could hear the rustle of fabric as it shifted slightly. It smiled when it saw that it had his attention. No sense straining in your eyes, it said. The voice was the same as the one from the bar. It belied the veiled threat in its words. You'll see me in seven days. What do you want from me? Lucas meant to sound tough and accusing. Instead, his question came out almost plaintive. You'll see that in seven days, too. Don't worry about it yet. After all, you're probably just dreaming right now. Once you turn on that light, you'll see... The voice cut off midward as Lucas flipped on his bedside lamp. It shone on the back of the closet door, casting a shadow over where the figure had been. But even so, Lucas could see that it was nothing but a couple of coats piled together on the back of the door. He turned the light out again, trying to see it as it had been. But the illusion was broken. Even in the dark, he could see it only as coats hanging on a door. It didn't look like a human, and it certainly didn't look alive. Lucas' head hurt. He stumbled out of the room down to get some aspirin with a glass of water and fell back onto bed. He hesitated before turning off the light but told himself that he was being ridiculous. When he woke up in the morning, the sun was shining brightly through the closed shades and his bedside lamp was on. I was pretty sure I won that fight with myself, Lucas thought. He shrugged and turned off the lamp. At least he hadn't woken up anymore during the night. Interrupted sleep never helped the hangover. The rest of the day passed without incident. When Lucas was getting into bed that night, he left the bedside lamp off. He made sure to close the door, though, the closet door. He'd even taken the coats down in case it somehow came open again. He didn't need to be jolted awake two nights in a row. The Sixth Day the bedside lamp was on again when Lucas woke. He turned it off with a snort. From what he could remember, he'd slept through the night without dreaming, but clearly he'd been at least partially awake at some point. He picked up his phone to check the time. Six days, said the screen. You'll see me then. The picture on the lock screen had been him roughhousing with his brother. Now it was just a blurred close-up of an unrecognizable face. The colors bled together like oils. It was human, or at least human-like, but no details could be distinguished. Lucas pressed the buttons on the side of his phone to take a screenshot. The screen flashed white, but even as it did so, Lucas could see it had reverted to the picture of him and his brother. The disturbing message was likewise gone. He checked the images folder in his case, but uh, the screen shot saved there showed nothing but the standard lock screen on his phone. Later, he asked a friend, Do you know of any way for someone to change your phone's background remotely? Not without some sort of an app that allows it. Why? Half a dozen times throughout that day, Lucas had picked up his phone to find that same message and picture back on the screen. It was always gone when someone else looked. Ah, no reason, he said. Just thinking about pranks you could play on someone. Lucas spent that evening searching his phone for any evidence of malicious apps. Finding nothing, he removed the SIM card and restored it to factory settings. When it rebooted, after it had finished, 
asking him to choose a language, and other basic prompts, it loaded up the default login screen. Six days, it said. The image was of a blurred, unknown figure. You'll see me then. The letters winked out one at a time, taunting him. Lucas turned his phone off and walked around the apartment, checking to make sure the door and all of the windows were locked. Once he assured himself that they were, he went to bed. He left the bedside lamp on. The fifth day. It was dark, even darker than it should have been in the middle of the night. His lamp was not on. Something was shrieking with laughter nearby. It was a terrifying, bone-chilling noise. Undeniably laughter, yet distinctly inhuman. It whooped like an owl, hissed like a tiger, and croaked like a chorus of frogs. It sounded like it was coming from the other side of the wall, but it also seemed to be mere feet away. Lucas reached out for his bedside lamp and instead slammed his unsuspecting hand into a solid object. He felt around, confused. He was touching a wall. No, not a wall, a door. Other walls closed in all around him. Pants hung down from above, brushing his head when he sat up and making him flinch. He was in his closet somehow. Whatever was laughing was in his bedroom directly outside. Lucas reached the doorknob. It was locked. The laughter intensified. Let me out! He rattled the knob that banged on the door. Let me out! Keep it down over there! A responding shout came from the far side of the wall, from one of the neighbors. Call the police if you don't shut up right now. The laughter redoubled, growing even more frenetic. Lucas could feel himself starting to panic. He was stuck in a tiny room with something insane just on the other side of the door. He wasn't certain that he wanted to be in the same room as whatever was making that noise, but he knew that he couldn't stay trapped any longer. He had to get out. Lucas ran his shoulder into the door then again. Banging from the neighbor's wall came again. That's it. I'm calling the police. Please do, Lucas thought as he slammed into his closet door over and over. He could feel it starting to give. Just a few more solid hits and he'd be out to face whatever was there. The door splintered and smashed free of the frame. The strike plate hung drunkenly from one broken piece of framing. The door slammed against the wall as it was flung open, revealing nothing but an empty bedroom. The laughter had stopped the instant the door came free. You'll see me in five days, came a quiet voice from behind the door. Lucas yanked it back. There was nothing there but a wall with a hole in it from the doorknob. All of the windows were still locked, the chain was still on the door. Police arrived a short while later. Lucas had to take it off to let him in. Is everything all right here? asked one of the officers. His name tag said Officer Fide. Someone locked me in my closet, Lucas said. I had to break out. It. They were laughing in my room. Sounds like a prank, said the other officer. His tag proclaimed him to be Officer Davis. They followed Lucas to his room. Doesn't seem to be that broken to me, said Davis, inspecting the undamaged wood. Were you able to just pop the lock? The frame was intact. There was no hole in the wall. 
A neighbor heard me breaking out, said Lucas. He's the one who called you. The policeman exchanged a look. We got a 911 call from a cell number at this address. In this apartment. Fired read out the number. It was Lucas's. My phone's off. It doesn't even have the SIM card in it right now. Officer Davis lifted a phone from the bedside table. The icons at the top of the glowing screen showed full service. You sure about that? asked Fide. Lucas looked at his name tag again. Fide now said five. Across the room, Davis was labeled Days. I guess not, said Lucas. The fourth day. Lucas surrounded himself with people. He went to the amusement park and let himself be swept up in the crowds. He didn't bring his phone. He did not look behind him on occasions when he felt someone bump into him. He told himself it was the crowds. He could believe it as long as he didn't check. The day went well. Lucas allowed himself to get careless. He got on a roller coaster. It was filled with people and he believed it to be safe. The ride was intense but brief. When they returned to the station, the other riders' seat restraints released. They all filed for the exits, chattering and laughing. Lucas pushed on his harness, but it didn't budge. Hello? I'm stuck, he said. Not to worry, said the person in the booth. We'll get you fixed in a jiffy. They pressed a button. You'll see me in four days. The harness released just as the poster leapt forward. Lucas clung to it for dear life, desperately trying to force the safety device lock back into place. Coaster flung him through tunnels and loops, forcing him even farther out of the seat. The hideous inhuman laughter that had been in his room the night before was all around him. It mingled with the shrieks of joy from elsewhere in the park, turning them to cries of terror as well. When the coaster returned to the station, Lucas fell to the floor in a sobbing heap and crawled toward the exit. There was no line for the ride. The booth was empty except for a cardboard sign. Back in four days. The third day. Nothing he had done seemed to have mattered at all. Lucas went back to the bar where it had started. It looked smaller in the daytime and even more dingy. It had seemed so bright and warm before. Now it was just another wooden room with sticky floors. What you need, asked the bartender. Lucas ordered a shot of tequila. It, too, didn't have the same luster during the day. He tossed it back, regardless. A few more shots later, Lucas found himself staring at the walls of the bar. Is that natural wood? he asked the bartender. Sure, I think so, the bartender said, barely glancing at the nearest plank in the wall. The lines in the grain looked like screaming faces, not just any faces, but people Lucas knew. He'd seen them last in the bar for the party. He didn't know most of them well. The majority of the people in the bar he hadn't known at all. They were all here, though, pressed into the wood. Their eyes were ripped open, bleeding sockets revealing dimpled brains behind. Their mouths cried out in both horror and humor. Lucas knew what sound they would make if they were more than just wood. Be something like an owl, something like a tiger, something like a chorus of frogs. It would 
be hilarity without humanity. The faces stared in at him from all sides. They wanted something. He had no idea what he could do for them. Lucas asked for his bill. The bartender printed it out and passed him the small strip of paper. See you in three days, he said. Lucas paused and looked at him. He was just an ordinary man. Not, you'll see me in three days, Lucas asked. The bartender shrugged. Gotta be somewhere, you might as well be here. Lucas couldn't tell if this advice was good or bad. He ordered one more tequila to help him think about it. The bartender added it to his bill and gave him a new receipt. Lucas pushed his credit card across the counter without reading the paper. He suspected he was happier not knowing what it said. The final day. Lucas was back in the bar. Possibly he'd never left. The chalkboard advertising the specials claimed it was two days later than he recalled. His phone said the same thing. He didn't remember ever having put it back into his pocket. He supposed that it didn't matter now. His car was parked outside, visible through the bar's large window. Something terrible had happened to it. The front end was smashed in on the driver's side. One of the headlights was broken, as well as the windshield. A large smear of blood was painted all the way up the hood and across the broken windshield. More spatters festooned the dented roof. Don't need to take it easy, buddy, said the bartender. Say he's a smart guy, man, next to Lucas said. Lucas didn't know his name, but he recognized him from the screaming faces in the wood. He belonged here. Me? I just sling drinks, at least until it's a good idea not to, said the bartender. Soon enough you'll cut us all off, said the man next to Lucas. His words slurred slightly. As he turned from the bartender to look back at Lucas, his face wavered and blurred. Lucas looked around the bar. All the faces were melting. Their smiles were dripping into screams. He could see blood in their shattered, staring eyes. The bartender cleared his throat. The bar closes at midnight. You can't stay here after close. Yeah, said Lucas, staring at his drink. It was as blurred as the faces. The whole bar was disintegrating. Uh, sure, no problem. I live right around the corner. Somewhere, a clock started to chime. Lucas didn't have to count the chimes to know what time it was. The bar's patrons all faded back into the walls, their screaming faces disappearing into the grain. Lucas leapt through the front door before he was drawn in along with them. His car wasn't drivable. He walked past it and headed for home, weaving unsteadily along the shoulder of the road. It was a nice, peaceful night. Full moon cast its wavering reflection on the puddles on the road. As he walked, he listened to the frogs sing, to the owls calling out to each other. The wind was rushing in his face for some reason. He was in a hurry to get somewhere. He didn't seem to know that he was walking. He rubbed his eyes, trying to clear the stinging tears brought on by the wind. Everything was blurry. The figure, dressed in dark clothing, rose up in front of him. All around, the world was blurry. It was the only thing in focus. It smiled as he drew close. For just a moment, everything was crystal clear. Then it was all over. Except for the screaming. 
I hope you enjoyed the figure by Mike Edwards, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you just one last time that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Micah-Edwards. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash M-I-C-A-H dash E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Sure, you could go to his website or simply read his story featured in the Chilling Tales Anthology Volume 1, audiobook coming soon, and look for Volumes 2 and 3 in the coming months. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard today on the program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Stay tuned as this season is just getting started. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? 
I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.